Welcome to The Breakdown with Brock and Becky, a weekly podcast that breaks down politics, policy, and current affairs. I'm Michael Brockorp. And I'm Becky Scher. Today we are back in studio with an exciting guest for our second Tuesday episode. As a reminder, we are now releasing our weekly episodes on Tuesdays instead of Thursdays. We are excited to welcome Minnesota Secretary of State Steve Simon this week. Steve Simon first served in the state legislature for a decade before being elected our Secretary of State in 2014. We're going to start by breaking down the recent news here in Minnesota regarding President Trump's name being on the ballot in 2024 and what role, if any, the Secretary of State's office will play in that decision. Then we're going to break down all things surrounding Minnesota elections, election integrity, voter turnout, and concerns as we move closer to Election Day. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the show. We are excited today to be joined by Minnesota Secretary of State Steve Simon, who is been our Secretary of State sworn in 2015. Uh, he's been there and has been doing a fantastic job. And I want to start off by saying Becky and I are both have histories in partisan Republican politics. I've had a pretty lengthy history in partisan politics on the Republican side. And Secretary Steve Simon was the first Democrat that I endorsed for public office, not to say that it was had any significance in the race, <laughs> but it just shows, I think, the testament to what type of an elected official he is and the reason why we wanted to have him on this podcast. Uh, Secretary Simon is doing a fantastic job overseeing our elections. And one of the things that we constantly are trying to do on the podcast is have frank, open conversations, but respectful conversations. And I can think of no better guardian of democracy that we've had in this state than Steve Simon. And I'm so happy to have him here today and hope that we can have a good discussion and talk about your office, talk about the great things that you do. I just wanted to start off by just saying thank you. Your first presidential election you oversaw was in 16, the second one in 2020. And there's been a lot of ugly aspects of that, but you have been a steady and consistent advocate for democracy, a fair arbiter of voting in this state. And I just wanted to start off by saying thank you and thank you for seeking elected office and doing just a great job. Well, thank you. I, I really appreciate it. And I appreciate this opportunity. I want to turn the compliment back on both of you. I am a listener. I am a fan of this podcast. Uh, I've li listened to a number of episodes. You've made some history. You've made some news. And I just want to thank you for the privilege of being on here. I'm happy to discuss whatever you want to discuss. Let's kick things off. Yesterday, there was a lawsuit that was filed related to Trump being on the presidential ballot in this upcoming presidential election. Explain the role of the Secretary of State's office, how it's impacted by that, and what authority you have in that process to determine who is or isn't on a presidential ballot. Yeah, thanks for the question. Very timely. So for your listeners' sake, yeah, we got sued yesterday. We're the second state in the country. Colorado was the first. We're the second. And um, look, this is the way the process is supposed to work because in the run-up to this lawsuit, there had been a lot of buzz nationally and in Minnesota about this legal theory. And the legal theory is that former President Trump is disqualified from even running for the office, let alone serve, uh, serving in the office based on the 14th Amendment to the Constitution. But putting that idea on the shelf for a minute, what I said in the run-up to yesterday's lawsuit and what I'm doubling down on now is – we have a process in Minnesota for settling eligibility contests or, or eligibility cha challenges. In our office, the Office of Secretary of State, we are not the eligibility police. That's not what we do. And whether it's a constitutional challenge, whether it's a residency challenge or an age challenge or any other kind of challenge, it's not proper legally for the Office of Secretary of State to make that call. And we haven't, and we don't, and we won't. Now, we will always do what a court tells us to. So if as a result of this lawsuit or any other lawsuit, a court determines that a candidate is ineligible for office for any reason, of course, we will abide by that result. But it is not our place. It is improper for our office to be making those determinations. So Michael, to your question, now what? We are named as a defendant in this lawsuit because technically what they're seeking is an order preventing us from placing a candidate on the ballot. That's why we're the defendant. But we will be taking no position, no position on the underlying legal merits, whether former President Trump is uh, disqualified or not disqualified. That ultimate legal question is for the courts and we will not take part in the determination. We'll take part in the lawsuit to the extent we're a named defendant and we need to be there, but we will not be taking a position on the merits underlying the lawsuit. 
So now is this kind of the first step in in that process of going through the court systems? I know um, former Secretary of State um, is on there. Justice, uh, former Supreme Court Justice Paul Anderson is a signer of there, as well as other Republicans and Democrats alike. Um, so is this how they get the ball rolling to get it through the court system and ultimately possibly up to the Supreme Court? Yes, exactly. This is exactly the process in Minnesota law. This is what we were saying for the last few weeks is don't look to us, look to the courts. We have this tool in the law and this is that tool. And it's a little unusual compared to other states. It's a lot more efficient in one sense. This goes directly to the Minnesota Supreme Court. There's no district court, court of appeals, all of that stuff. This is a straight shot, right, to seven people who serve on the Minnesota Supreme Court. So they ultimately will decide this. But Becky, to your point, I think embedded in your question was a really good insight. In my opinion, anyway, um, this is going to end up in the laps of the U.S. Supreme Court. I don't think there's any chance that you will have some cluster of states who somehow determine that former President Trump is ineligible and, and it will just be limited to a cluster. Either former President Trump will be on the ballot everywhere or nowhere. I think the U.S. Supreme Court will make sure that whatever the outcome is, it will be uniform throughout this, the country. So whether the case arrives uh, in their laps by way of Minnesota or the Colorado lawsuit or maybe other lawsuits that are to follow, I don't know. But ultimately, I think it's going to be decided by the U.S. Supreme Court. I believe I read recently, too, maybe in one of the stories yesterday, um, that I believe in the Colorado case, uh, Trump or his campaign um, have already made that request for it to get pulled from the state and go to the federal courts, correct? Right. Um, and so the court systems are not known for their speed um, of, of getting things done. Do you have any insight into the timeline that something like this will move forward? Are we going to see it? Are they going to hear this before the 2024 nominating cycle election as a whole? Such a fascinating question. And we have, of course, tried to game that out in our minds. The simple but unsatisfying answer is, I don't know. <laughs> the, the Supreme Court, I, the next step usually in this kind of case, and, and we're not a stranger to this. You know, Even last year, there were a couple of residency challenges, one to a sitting Minnesota senator, one to a state representative saying they really didn't live in their new districts because of redistricting. Um, so we're used to this process. And the process usually now is that the Supreme Court will set out some sort of scheduling order where they'll say, well, we want to hear from the parties on this issue by this date. This is a different kind of case, though. This is a U.S. constitutional challenge. So um, all we're saying uh, and, and all I am saying and we'll say today is we want this court as soon as it's ready and believes that it's legally ready to do so to decide it as quickly as possible because I think the voters deserve finality. This isn't about election administrators. This is about the voters. And you've got a major figure who has major support, whether your listeners agree with them or don't, this is a major national figure for our preeminent national office. And not only does he deserve a resolution of this uh, or his supporters, but every voter, whether they're for him or against him, deserve some resolution one way or another. So. My hope is that this ultimately gets resolved as quickly as possible so that we can have an orderly presidential process next year, not just for the November general election, if former President Trump is the nominee of his party, but for the presidential primary. And just for your listeners' sake, I never hesitate to add, this is just around the corner. You know, our, our presidential primary is March 5th, which is Super Tuesday. So there will be a lot of action that day. But the absentee period in Minnesota meaning the day that all of us can first start voting in that contest is January 19th. That's like four months away. It is really right around the corner. So the sooner all of the voters can get a resolution, the better for their sake, regardless of their where they sit or stand politically. You are Minnesota's chief election administrator at an incredibly highly partisan time, at a time in which people expect there to be fairness and sometimes in a system that isn't fair. And there's been some really ugly, unfortunate attacks that secretaries of state across the country have endured and election officials at the state and local level have endured. How have you managed to work through that in such a fair way? Last election cycle, uh, you were the highest vote getter among, amongst candidates that sought statewide office. There's just a lot of bipartisan support for the work that you're doing. How do you deal with that on a personal level? And what are your office doing to help dispel a lot of this unfortunate misinformation that sometimes permeates out there about elections? Well, I am very much at ease 
with what I see as the mission of our office, which is to uh, strengthen and defend democracy, but very importantly, to do so in a nonpartisan way. It is okay. Obviously, we all who are elected to this office have a, a, a partisan label by our name. But I would say this office is truly unique, and the word unique gets overused. Unique as in a category of one. This is a unique office among offices, at least in Minnesota. I can't speak for the political culture of other states, but in Minnesota, there is an expectation, and rightly so, that the person who holds this office has to leave their personal politics at the door. Of course, our political values inform how we think about things. It would be naive to say otherwise, but you cannot put your thumb on the scale for any political party or candidate in this office. You just can't. It's okay if when you step out of this office, uh, you, you know, you have other views and and all the rest and the history, but it's so important for anyone who holds this office, regardless of party, to keep first in mind the fact that this is about the voters. That's what it's about. You got to frame it in that way, and that's who is front and center. So that, I think, has guided me and, um, and been just good for the office and good for Minnesota. In terms of dis and misinformation, I'm glad you brought that up because as we approach 2024, I think we're going to see some of that. Now, let me just zoom out for a minute and say, as I always try to add, when I talk about disinformation, I am definitely not talking about disagreement. That is as American as apple pie. There are smart, ethical, reasonable, patriotic people who disagree with me on elections policy. Good. I mean, let's have that. That's what America is all about. Let's have that debate. Let's have that give and take. Uh, let's have that back and forth. That's not at all what I mean by disinformation. What I mean, at least, by disinformation is knowingly false information that is disseminated um, for political purposes, sometimes for economic purposes, sometimes for both. So let me give you an example. Um, so it's okay if someone says that it has a criticism of me or Minnesota laws or or has an idea about laws we should add or laws we should subtract or anything like that. But when someone says without evidence, and particularly if they say so for political purposes, that election equipment in Minnesota, tabulating equipment, is switching votes from candidate A to candidate B, that is demonstrably, provably false. That's not a matter of opinion or someone being a liberal or a conservative. That's just disinfo. And, and that is oftentimes designed to corrode well-earned faith in our democracy. So it's that kind of stuff um, that I'm talking about. Not disagreement. That I would never and do not ever categorize that as disinformation. That would be ridiculous. But we just got to be on guard, all of us, whether it's from the left or from the right, as we approach this 2024 campaign season, be skeptical, apply scrutiny, seek out trusted voices, Add question, ask questions about what you're hearing and seeing. Maybe it's on a social media feed. Who has incentive to say this particular thing? Why are they saying it? Has it been verified? You know, things that, that people normally do, but I think the stakes are really high here. And so we've just got to push back against that kind of disinformation. Disagreement, absolutely. Welcome it. It's a sign of a healthy democracy. Coming into the 2024 elections, is there a concern that you have about AI or other forms of that this disinformation is going to take that your office is going to have to deal with? Because technology is evolving. It's getting smarter and smarter every day. And yep. what's the concern that you have with information flowing to voters that could unfairly influence how they view elections? I'm really concerned about AI and the way it could go off the rails in multiple areas of our public life, but certainly when it comes to elections. Uh, I'm not the first one, of course, to talk about this. But isn't it interesting? I've thought about this and maybe you guys have. I mean, a year ago, certainly a year and a half ago, we weren't even talking about like chat GPT, right? That's like a pretty new thing. And now that has given rise to other uh, talk, you know, deep fakes, for example. That's in a campaign context and you are both battle-hardened veterans when it comes to campaigns. Um, you can well imagine um, somebody fashioning a video image or an audio clip that is literally manufactured. I mean, it, it, the person simply did not say it or do it, but something very real seeming uh, or real sounding is out there. So that's more in the campaign domain, which isn't, you know, in our office, our direct lane, but it does inform generally how people look at elections. Or what if instead of in an explicitly campaign context, someone in a video image of some trusted person is just saying wrong stuff about elections. I mean, it could be simple as, hey, in Bloomington, the polling place for precinct such and such is over at the Lutheran church, when it isn't. 
or hey, the deadline for doing such and such in the voting process is this, an audio clip or a video clip. And it isn't. It's just wrong. It's meant to throw people off the track. That's the kind of thing that's that's really concerning. Question is, what do you do about it? Other than being like a discerning news consumer, is there a place for law and legislation here? I know that Senator Klobuchar, in fact, I just literally this morning, that's why it's on the brain, she just announced a bipartisan uh, bill with Josh Hawley of Michigan and others. So you've got progressives, conservatives. Um, uh, they're seeking a federal ban on certain kinds of um, camp-related, campaign-related AI that is, I forget the term they use, like materially you know, impactful or something like that. And then there's been another bill out there, this is all federal, that says that at least if you have AI in a campaign ad, you've got to disclose it. There's got to be either a written or a verbal dis uh, disclosure or disclaimer. Uh, you know, I think we're all just sort of feeling through, not just in the campaign and election space, but in every space, the commercial space, any other kind of space, what do we do about this, right? And so it is a concern for sure, for me and for everyone who touches elections. So as Michael started off, and as you know, um, I was deep in partisan politics for a while, uh, spent two years over at the Republican Party as both communications and executive director um, at the Republican Party of Minnesota. And so, you know, part of that role was also putting out some statements of of different things that were going on with election laws. Um, I know that recently in particular over the last two, four years, from my perspective and within the Republican Party largely, there is a heightened distrust of of election cycles or voting machines or different things of that. Um, and in particular, in conjunction, there was a lot of new laws that have been passed over the last two to four years. Maybe we want to get into a little bit of, of some of those impactful laws that have been passed and just kind of dispel some of that misinformation and, and you know, distrust that might be out there, Republicans and Democrats alike. And just uh, starting off, uh, one of the uh, top ones that I know passed recently is felon voting. Maybe if you could speak a little bit to that, how that came to be and the importance that is for a community of folks in Minnesota and across the country. Yeah. So one of the uh, kind of flagship um, pieces of legislation that passed this last session was restoring the right to vote to people who have left prison behind. These are people who years and sometimes decades ago left prison, but not until now are getting the right to vote back, about 55,000 people. And the idea there, and this has been kicking around a long time uh, nationally and in Minnesota, and by the way, we were the we are the 23rd state to do this. Uh, so we're by no means a barrier breaker or pioneer. I mean, I'm, I was headed in that direction. North Dakota has been doing this for years. Uh, they're discussing it seriously in Kentucky and uh, Indiana, et cetera, Florida. So I think the idea here, generally speaking, was, look, if a judge or a jury, not any of us, not any of your listeners, but the people who know the case, they've heard the testimony, they've heard the victim impact statements, whatever, they decide that a person on a certain date is good enough, worthy enough, safe enough to be out among us, you know, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, uh, in the next aisle in the grocery store. Um, then they ought to at least have some say in what's happening and some sort of sense of investment. And by the way, this isn't just some nice charitable act towards some other person. This is good for all of us because a ton of um, information and studies out there um, tend to suggest that people who engage in this pro-social kind of behavior like voting, they are far less likely to reoffend. So it's good for us. It's not just some, you know, good deed. Uh, we want stable, safe communities and people to feel an investment and be less likely to reoffend. So that's what's going on now. The interesting challenge with that particular one is implementation because you got 55,000 people who got the right to vote back and I would guess most of them don't even know it. So the question is, how do you get the word out that this is even a thing? They can use it or not use it. We don't have mandatory voting in this country and I don't support it, but um, but that's going to be the central challenge is just getting the word out and making sure people understand that they have that right back. Oh, I was just going to say one of the most, I think, controversial thing that I've heard from Republicans over the last couple of years is when it comes to absentee ballots. Um, you know, Democrats have certainly seized the absentee vote ballot ballot voting um, at pers at home, in person, um, early voting, all of that. And, and I know that that was something that there were a lot of concerns during COVID and the changes that happened in 2020 um, and over the last two to four years as well. What changes have been made to the absentee voting system and what can we say to to calm some folks yes. that this is being done legally, these people, you know, that there are the checks and balances in place? 
Thank you for that question. It gives me an opportunity to slight, I don't want to hijack your question, but let me um, tell you the form that I sometimes get it in that's even more specific than what you said. And it's a totally legitimate question. I totally understand anyone asking it. They will ask it since the majority of absentee voting happens by mail, not in person. People will say, hey, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're telling me hundreds of thousands of blank ballots are going out into the mail into mailboxes. Blank. Right for the taking. What is to prevent a mailbox thief from camping out in a neighborhood? If you've heard the city of, I don't know, Fridley is sending out its uh, its absentee ballots on a Monday. What's to prevent someone from camping out at mailboxes and neighborhoods on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and swiping one or 10 or 100 so that he can vote them for himself? Totally fair question. The answer to that is in Minnesota, we have security features that very few other states have. And that security feature is that when you order the absentee ballot, either online or any other way, you've got to provide some personal identifying information, either a driver's license number, social security, et cetera. Um, and only if that ballot is returned with the very same personal identifying information that the intended voter used when the intended voter ordered it, only then will it be counted. So back to the mailbox thief. He thinks he's all clever. He's parking out in the neighborhoods. He steals 10 or 100 ballots. Unless he knows the particular form of a personal identifying information that the intended voter used when he or she ordered it and can forge the voter's signature and can forge the witness signature, which we require in Minnesota and not every state does, only if all three of those things are true times however many ballots he stole, will those votes be successful. Bottom line is it's never successful. Uh, and that's why we have to my knowledge, uh, zero incidents in recent history of that kind of thing. So we have a secure system and I wouldn't expect people to know that. Why would they? They're busy. They're raising families. They've got jobs. But I just want people to rest assured that that is an example of some of the systems we have in place, by the way, that both Democrats and Republicans have been really vigilant and diligent about putting in place for the last few decades. So um, I, I hope that is just one of, of many reassurances that I and others can give about that balance, which we're always striving for, right? The balance that you want to get the sweet spot of access and security. That's what we're all after. We want that perfect combination. Of course, we want accessibility, but we want security. And I think when it comes to absentee ballots, we're there. And also just as a an add-on, from from what I understand of the system, I typically vote by mail myself. Um, I can go on and check my status, correct? So right. if I ordered a ballot and it hasn't come to me, I can either request another one or go vote in person. And that would also, you know, there, basically if I had concerns, I'd be able to validate or check that out, call your office and say, hey, you say that I my ballot's been turned in, but I didn't do that. And people could work it out that way, correct? Yes, Make 100%. sure that- And the added benefit, and that's on the front end, if you didn't get it or whatever, there's even that same system applies to the back end because a question that I sometimes get is, hey, am I really supposed to pop this thing in the mail, my completed ballot, and just hope and pray they get it? Will I ever know if they even got it? Will be, I'll be wondering for years and years whether my vote in the 2022 elected was ever, election was even counted. No, you won't have to wonder. Just like an Amazon package or a UPS package, there's a tracking system and you can monitor it and check and you will get confirmation that your ballot was received and that it was processed. I wanna talk about something really cool that your office did recently that you guys announced. I have twin daughters that are 16, and I told them this morning, I said, I'm going to be doing a podcast with the Secretary of State today, and one thing good we're going to do now is you get to pre-register to vote, and they were really excited about that, and they were texting with their friends this morning, letting them all know, hey, did you know that we could do this now? Explain that law change yeah. that allows 16 and 17-year-olds to pre-register to vote. Yes. Well, this too is an example of a law that something like 15 or 16 states already have, red states, blue states, states in between. I just want to let your listeners know, totally nonpartisan in origin and in effect. In fact, quick war story, as we were trying to pass this, I reached out to my conservative Republican Secretary of State colleague in Louisiana. We disagree on a lot of things, but we get along very well. And he, at my request, wrote a letter to legislators saying, in essence, hey, we love this law. We have this in Louisiana. We hope you guys adopt it too. So I just want to put every, the fear to rest. 
uh, that there's some partisan impulse here. Many states do this. So what it means is, obviously, you can't register or vote until you're 18. Correct. Nothing has changed about that. It just means you can basically get in line to do so. That's all it really means. So you can provide your information, and all you're providing is you are who you say you are, and you live where you say you live. That's all that registration or pre-registration is. That's it. Those two things. And you're providing that you're getting in line. You go to mnvotes.gov. That's our website, any 16 and 17-year-old. And you provide that information so that folks at the local level, city and county level, they will vet and screen and filter to make sure everything's on the up and up. Only if that is true, then on that person's 18th birthday, without them having to think about it, do anything else, they'll be added to the voting rolls. That's a good thing. By the way, one other point I forgot to mention, the longtime sponsor of this provision in the House was a Republican, Dean Erdahl, a retired social studies teacher in the Minnesota House. So I, I just, this is one of those that um, it's just sort of an add-on to a law that we already had. Even before this was passed, we had a law on the books that said, if you're 17, but will be 18 by the next election, you can do this. Now this just simply grows that and says, okay, all 17-year-olds and all 16-year-olds can do the same thing that those folks have been able to do for years. That's it. What's great about it, and there's a, you were talking about it in terms of the felony voting too, is getting people engaged in the community and they feel that connection. My kids this morning just felt taller than they did before, knowing that they could pre-register to vote. And, and one of the things that we're trying to do at my house is just raise my kids' civic IQ. We're not, I don't indoctrinate them into a particular political party, but we would try to nerd out, watch the debates, both sides of the aisle, and talk about issues. And it just, it really made them feel much more connected instantaneously when they knew they were able to do that. And it's remarkable that your office was so instrumental in getting that passed, that it was passed this legislative session. I think it's, it really helps people connect. And it's really did with my kids. I know a lot of kids, particularly in Egan today, are probably, you might see a bump today in the number of kids that attempt to do that because there's a lot of information that's sharing about it. I just wanted to pass along that personal story. And it just meant a lot to them to know that they were able to be a part of the, the system. No, that's really cool because part of the um, reason for doing this is getting kids to think about themselves as voters even before they are. Because we know that when, when someone votes that first time they're eligible, 18, 19, 20, 21, whatever, they are much more likely to make it a lifelong habit. I bet both of you remember your first vote, however you old you were. And my bet is given both of your backgrounds, it was early. It was probably that first election when you were eligible, when you were 18, 19, 20, 21. And now it is a lifelong habit with you and it's no different for, for kids these days as well. Well, it's a great lesson in giving kids at an early age a connection to their government. And congratulations to your office and, and the legislature for passing it because it, I think it's going to just raise kids' civic IQ, civic engagement, and it's going to be better for all of us. I personally always say I'd rather you vote and vote Democrat than not vote at all. I mean, I'm obviously a Republican, so I, I, I want to win you over to my side, but I, I think voting is very important. I believe, were you just down in Rochester yes. chatting with teens about this as well, right? Right. Um, so I think that's really exciting. You've talked a few times about engaging those voters and getting them to turn out. Minnesota has notoriously, notoriously, infamously, famously, whatever the word might be, um, high voter turnout. Yep. Speak a little bit to that and how your your office helps helps push people to the yeah. polls and show them the importance. And is it just something innate in Minnesotans that we yeah. find it really important? Yeah. You know, again, Minnesota, we are really good at voting as a state. Red areas, blue areas, it doesn't matter. We vote at sky high levels. We are usually number one. Three out of the last four elections, we were number one, including the COVID election. Amazingly, we were number one in America. We were number three this last time in youth voter turnout, 18 to 29. So the role of our office is never ever to urge someone to vote a particular way for a party, for a candidate, for a cause, for a ballot question. We don't do that and we won't do that. But what we do is urge people to vote. We can't force them. We don't have mandatory voting. Some countries do. We don't. I don't support that. Um, but um, but but the important thing is to to let folks know that they should use their voice. They should use their power. That's what a vote is. And so we do a number of things. We, starting young, we do mock elections for high school students statewide. We partner with YMCA Youth and Government Program to do that, among others. We do a contest that we created, that we invented, called uh, Democracy Cup. We work with a number of groups to do that on about 62 statewide college campuses, two-year, four-year, public, private, doesn't matter. Again, it's a, a, a sort of a voting contest, you might see, say, where we divide schools into divisions, sometimes by athletic conference or rivalry or other factors or size. 
Uh, and then just generally speaking, it's getting around the state, letting people know what the rules are and what they are not, and just talking about the importance of voting and democracy in general. So that's what we do. It's important work. We think it's been useful work, but there are a ton of partners on all sides of the political spectrum. We don't ask, we don't care. Uh, if there's a particular uh, partner around the state, if they're trying to get people to vote, that is good enough. So that is the kind of work that we're heavily engaged in and that is really interesting and fun to do. Uh, and this year, we'll have the added attraction and advantage of a big attention-getting election, right? It's harder in other years, but presidential years are easier. It's a lighter lift because everyone is so engaged and focused and passions run high, energy is high, and you can take advantage of that to direct people to the ways in which they can vote. I live in Egan. There's just gonna be a special election coming up. There's gonna be some local elections across the state in November. We're coming into a big presidential election cycle next year. If people see something and have questions about election information that they're receiving, what should they do? I think they should go to, well, you know I'm gonna say they should go to our website, which is mnvotes.gov. But if, if that doesn't cut it for someone, uh, I would go to uh, whatever unit they trust. Go to the city of Egan. Go to Dakota County in that case. Go to a county, go to a city. If you have questions about what the rules are or what they aren't, you know, that's important. You know, in our office, we do a lot of that work and we handle some of that for counties and cities as well. Troubleshooting, handling the calls, the questions, or the pushback, or the criticism, or the hostility even. We will handle that as well. I like to say that we and I are in the democracy business, and it is a really interesting and important time to be in the democracy business. But again, as we head into the 2024 election, it's just important that everyone has equal access to accurate information about what the system is. And as I said earlier in this broadcast, we can have the debate and should all day long about what the system should be, and reasonable smart people can differ on what it ought to be. But let's try to come to some agreement about what it is, how it really operates, and get accurate, good information out there to all voters, all comers, regardless of where they sit or stand politically. I have one last question, and this is mainly just because of my personal enjoyment of it. Um, Michael and I obviously like campaigns, obviously like election day, night, whatever it looks like. Um, the website, I mean, I think that we're, we're frequent refreshers. Can you... Um, Indulge us a little bit in, in what goes into an election day and night for your office of receiving votes, populating the website, right. updating it as fast as, you know, we, we try to do it as every two, three minutes that yeah. it gets gets refreshed. But um, I find it fascinating. There are 87 counties. I mean, so many locations across the state where you guys are gathering this information. And and just because the nerd in me wants to know oh, more. Totally. Can you can you chat a little no, bit about that? No, the nerd in you is, is totally resonating with the nerd in me. <laughs> because election night to me, I've said this for years, it's one of the reasons I love this job. Election night always to me is like the Super Bowl and the World Series combined. It's just fun. Let's face it. There's just so much energy and passion and interest and uh, excitement, I think. So to your point, um, yeah, it is all hands on deck for sure. You know, and remember too, and understandably, we get calls and texts and emails on election night. Well, why aren't you posting this? Why aren't you posting that? Where are the results? We post what we get. So just a refresher, a reminder for your listeners, we don't count votes. A lot of people just to level set might not know that or, or realize that. We never lay a finger on a ballot. We don't do it. That all happens in cities and counties and townships around Minnesota, but we are on them and in constant communication on election night about the very latest. We're fanning out. We're using all of our capabilities to communicate and get those numbers in. There are always some stragglers. There are always some counties that are very late. And I will tell you the last full all-nighter that I ever pulled, like full, not like one hour of sleep, but an absolute 100% all-nighter was election night 2016. And the reason had nothing to do with the presidency. It was because we had an open seat U.S. congressional race in your congressional district, Michael, and it was Jason Lewis versus Angie Craig, part one. Two years later, we'd have the rematch. And Dakota County, of all counties, the heart of CD2 didn't come in until like 5.30 in the morning, if you recall that. Yep. I and others, not just me, we were up literally all night. No break, no sleep, no nap. We were fielding the calls, yes, but we were troubleshooting with Dakota County, what's happening here. Part of it was technical stuff, but part of it was some confusion in particular precincts. And the rule is usually, and then for sure, you can't report 
the, the county until the entire county is ready to report. So even though 97% of Dakota County was ready to go, 3% was not. Anyway, long story. The point is you got to get it right. You got to make sure it's accurate. We um, press and nudge and push and are in constant communication with counties and cities on election night. But again, we only report what we get and we don't do any of the counting they do. So it is constant communication and we've got a real sort of nerve center war room atmosphere with people staying very late at night, sometimes all nighters, to make sure we get it right and we're posting things immediately when we get it and can confirm it. We want to be respectful of your time and we're coming up close to it. I just wanted to say thank you again for coming in. I also wanted to just to note that one of the things that we're trying to do in this podcast is have good, honest conversations with people. You are a, such a good advocate for democracy. And I want you to know that you're welcome back to any time we get in more of the election cycle. You have a place here where you're always going to have a, a respectful dialogue and a space here to talk about some pretty partisan issues that sometimes can develop in election seasons. But we hope that you'll consider us as a resource to help break down some of that information. And we will continue over the course of our podcast to drive people towards your office for the good information that your office produces about elections and validate to them that they should have faith in how our elections are being run in this state. Thanks to you. Well, thank you. And again, let me dish back the, the compliment. <laughs> you guys, this is this is really what you have put together here in this podcast is for me as a uh, um, consistent listener, it is fresh, it is insightful, um, it is horizon expanding. You've made news on this podcast. I don't know if we've made any news particularly today, but um, but um, I just want to thank you for putting this out there, putting out a really quality product that is gaining, it seems to me, momentum and buzz. And um, if you'll have me on again, I'll be on again. Wonderful. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Becky, we just interviewed Secretary of State Steve Simon. Your take. You know, I thought... It's elections are always just fascinating to me. And as I mentioned um, and, you know, kind of ratted myself out, I, I worked at the state party. I did have to do, you know, during 2020, we did a lot of criticism about um, some various pieces of consent decrees and, and different changes to our election system or voting process. Um, but me personally, as as you talked about, I think I, I, I've been very impressed over the last um, how many years now, eight years with uh, Secretary Simon remaining above the fray. I mean, he it is a, a ticket, you know, constitutional office ticket that, you know, Democrats or Republicans have their candidates on the ticket. Um, so he does run under the the DFL banner. But he has remained relatively, you know, out out of any controversy. He sits, keeps his head down. He does the job. He represents the I mean, amongst all, all sorts of things the Secretary of State's office does. But our election system. And I, I think he's done a really good job of, of upholding that and making sure people can trust him and trust the system. I think Steve Simon is the epitome of public service. I think he is a steady hand in a chaotic time of this election season. I find him to be incredibly engaged on the very specific roles that the Secretary of State's office has. He has, I think, shown incredible leadership and ability to shield away disinformation be a voice of truth and reason in a chaotic time. The, the Secretary of State's office does a variety of things, one of which is administering our elections. I think he made an important statement there, which I don't think is known by a lot of people, that the Secretary of State's office doesn't count votes. If you're looking for an example in this hyper-partisan political environment for someone that Democrats, Republicans, and independents agree is doing a good job, it's Steve Simon. He is a fair linesman. He is a fair referee, he is a fair arbiter, and he is a fair administrator of Minnesota elections. And you only have to look back at his record as Secretary of State, but also note how many votes he's won statewide. There is a reason why Minnesotans think and believe that Steve Simon is doing a great job as Secretary of State. And I think the point of the discussions that we wanted to do is just put a human face around who the Secretary of State, State is in this state. He's a great guy. Mm -hmm. And I felt that we could ask any question about elections and this guy would know the answer. He's an election nerd, self-identified kind of election nerd. And that's exactly what you want. We've seen Secretary of State's thrust into the crossfire in a lot of elections across the state. But Secretary of State Steve Simon has just kept his nose to the grindstone. He's worked hard. He's been a consistent voice 
for being, as he said, in the democracy business. And if you are a Republican right now in this state, and this is unfortunate, and I think we would probably say that some of this is unfortunate. There's a lot of mistrust and a lot of disinformation about the role of elections in this state, and particularly what the role of the Secretary of State is. And, and I know that Secretary of State Simon has endured a lot. If we can help break some of that discussion down and break some of that heat down and, and provide an opportunity for the Secretary of State to come in and talk with us about what's going on in the election, I think we're doing a good service because unfortunately, I think there are activists on both sides of the aisle who have inflamed the election process. But right now, a lot of that fire is being thrown by the Republicans. And I worry that we're coming into an election cycle where it's gonna get worse. I have sadly consistently said to my kids that this election cycle is gonna be one of the ugliest that we have. And a lot of that ugliness is going to come from misinformation, disinformation, inaccurate information. And if we can have a, a conversation with the Secretary of State through our listeners and provide some insight and uh, allow him to a platform to speak and clear up some of the confusion, I think we're doing a good job. And I was very excited to have him on today because I do think uh, of there's a lot of good people on both sides of the aisle. Uh, Democrats and Republicans in state government. But Steve Simon is head and shoulders, one of the best that's out there. And I was really excited for him to come in, geek out a little bit about election, clear up some misinformation. And, and it sounds and hopefully we can have the opportunity to have it back on in other subjects. And and just because we need to clarify, he was the second Democrat you endorsed last um, last election, along with uh, Governor Tim Waltz. He was the uh, actually in order. I endorsed Steve Simon first. Oh wow! There you go. Good clarification. But I stand by that decision. I, I stand by all my endorsements that I made last election cycle, whether they won or lost. And <laughs> the reason, part of the reason why, I think Steve Simon was worthy of it, and why he got the votes that he did, is because he's just a good guy, mm -hmm. and people trust him, and they have a lot of faith that he's a fair umpire, a fair referee, that our election administration is being done in an honest and transparent way. Multiple times in the interview, open himself up to, we can debate about elections and how they're run and stuff, but let's not have a debate about whether they're truthful, they're honest, and whether they're accurate. I think he's threading the needle as it should be threaded. And I just hope that, particularly on the Republican side, that more people on, uh, have faith in Secretary of State Simon, the work that he's doing, and that they put faith that our elections are gonna be handled in a secure, transparent manner and have faith in the outcome. Because if we don't stop some of this mis misinformation, I'm concerned that our election cycles are gonna get uglier, there's gonna be more threats and violence that happen, and we need to have some adults in the room, and he certainly is an adult. Um, I think one thing that you mentioned in the interview, but also I feel like uh, deserves a, a second mention is that St Simon did receive more votes than Governor Walls, than Keith Ellison, than any statewide candidate this last election cycle. And I think that does make me a little optimistic in the fact that not just Democrats are seeing him being good and a good fit for that office and representing us well. So I think that's really important. Um, one thing I did want to say, if anybody is listening who still has concerns about the election cycle or election system, how it works, um, and, and is going to have those going through to 2024, I encourage people always to sign up to be a part of the process. You can be an election judge, um, a poll worker. Um, it's a great way to see it and see, I think, once you sit there for eight hours and watch how systematic the process is, I think it kind of takes off a little of that, um, you know, mystery surrounding it and and potential funky business that could or funny business that could be going on. And so you can contact the state parties, um, both Republican and Democrat. They submit a list to the Secretary of State or go to the Secretary of State website if that's something you're interested in doing. They always need more election judges. They always need more poll workers. It's a really important thing. And so that's another nerd um, segment from, from Becky here. Uh, but I do think it is something that helps really take off a veneer of like this could be it's just really a relatively boring you know basic process that you go through and and I think it really helps uh give some insight there so I know every show is an opportunity for you to take a swing at me for my endorsements last election cycle one thing I try to do Becky is continue to come back to and bring up the space that we're creating the space that you that we've created for you to take swings at me, which is just delightful. <laughs> but I think we should feel good about the shows over the last few weeks, in particular this episode with Steve Simon, because again, I'll say it one last time. 
one thing that we are trying to do is have conversations. And there, in a lot of circles, in Republican eyes, Steve Simon is the boogeyman. And there's levers that he, that he is pulling in his office to, to rig our elections. And we need to stop that type of discussion. This is a guy who wants fair, clean elections. He wants to make it easy for people to vote, but he wants those elections to be held in a secure, trustworthy manner. And he's a dedicated public servant. And he and, just wants people to participate. Yep. And I think if there's a political party that needs to hear that right now more than anyone, it's the Republicans. And I'm glad we played a role in talking about what the Secretary of State's office is doing that's so good, but also giving a voice to who Steve Simon is because he's one of the good ones out there. And if people have questions or concerns about the election process, follow Becky's advice and get involved. But if you have questions, contact his office. Mm -hmm. uh, what I've come to realize is that the more people have contact in some ways and become more familiar with the election process, a lot of their concerns go away. I'm happy that today's conversation with Secretary of State Simon will help alleviate some of those tensions and I hope to have them on again in the future. We are shifting now to a very controversial topic, which is fantasy football and our breakdown with Broderick and Becky Pick'em League. Surprisingly, Becky's involvement in the Pick'em League has generated controversy. I want to give the floor to uh, Becky to discuss the controversy that she's created, the problems that we now have in the league, and if there's going to be an opportunity for us to have a fun uh, Pick'em League this year. Becky, take it away. So my involvement in the controversy is due to technical errors, right? So here's the deal. Started out going to the app. It told me to select six games. It didn't allow me to pick more than six games. So I picked six games week one. Well, it turns out on the website, if you make your picks on the website, which you and a few others did, then you could choose for all 16 games. So I obviously got my butt kicked week one. Now, granted, I only got two of my six correct. So that's a butt kicking in its own, in its own uh, right. But it was due to technical difficulty. Now, I, yes, could have checked the website. But hey, I depended on my app to tell me what to do. So I got two the first week. And you got nine. No, you got eight. Here's the deal. You were still in third. I was so tied let's for start fifth. with this. You only got two right. Correct. Correct. You so only you, got eight of the 16, right? But so percentage-wise, not that much better. I wasn't a math major, but I think, and I wasn't in the National Honor Society, which I, I believe apparently you were. Sure was. You were in the National Honor Society because the reason I know it is because we're re-editing re, re some audio and Becky dropped National Honor Society in the unaired audio of this, of this discussion. <laughs> I, I mean, it was in defense because I'm not, uh, I was trying to explain that I'm not entirely a dumb dumb. Eight is bigger than two, though, correct? Well, yes. Correct. That's just, that's, that's just, I wanted to make sure. So as of today, we are recording this Monday for an episode that will be released on Tuesday. And what I think we're going to do is we're going to do some updates on fantasy football on Monday prior to our, our new release day on Tuesdays. Matt Anderson is in the lead, but I don't think he's going to stay in the lead as of the standings right now because I don't think he picked this week. Oh, man. Uh, I have rocketed from third place to second. And I think when this is all said and done, I will likely be in the number one spot or number two spot. Uh, number two is Spencer Creer. Becky, you are occupying the fourth spot. And third. as I noted on social media, I've never seen someone more excited to be in fourth place. Well, because I think that it needs to be said that if we look at week two, where I did my picks correctly, um, I am tied with you. So, slowly but surely, I feel like I can inch my way back. Yep. Mike Zipko, one of our friends and your colleague, is in fifth place. Dan Winnesota is in sixth place. And Kathy is yet to submit her picks. But she signed up. Hey, we'll take it. We'll take it. She signed up. But the main point of this is to discuss that you are trailing me extensively. Now... Let me add, just for the record, because I know my sisters and family members listen to the podcast, winning in fantasy football is something that I've become quite good at. I did. I am currently in the lead in my fantasy football league with my family. I'm on track to beat my sister's husband this week. He's a great guy, but I'm on track to beat him. I also participate in a guillotine league, which is every week somebody gets cut, the bottom player, and I have survived another week, which... 
I wasn't the best at guillotine leagues. And so it's surprising that I'm in another week. So I think I'm going to be in for an, a, a few more weeks on the guillotine league. But I'm in a solid position in all my fantasy leagues. As long, here's my objective in so our So proud league. of you. Here's our objective in our league. I want to beat you. That's it. <laughs> So I, I, I do have to, I, I'm going to stay on my defense here. Um, I'm looking at this week's pick and it looks as though Mike and Dan had the same problem I did and they only selected about six picks. So it looks like it's not completely operator error on my end. Um, I also do have to rag on Spencer a little bit. Week two, we're already giving up on Minnesota, Spencer. You picked Philly, really? I mean, yeah, I get I just- it. I've decided that I'm going to go with the Vikings. They're going to just be, I have to make up other games because if I was betting, if I was playing to win, I would have picked Philly because I knew that's the way it was going to be. That's what I had expectations. But the dedication in. in your heart. Yes. But I just can't, I, I couldn't, I don't want to win that way. So if I lose, I want there to be a, an asterisk and for some ability for me to complain about it. Now but, I noticed you also picked Green Bay. My husband was very upset about that game. Speaking of football yesterday, Green Bay, Detroit, and Tampa, wait, no, Green Bay, Detroit, and Chicago all lost. So the Vikings are 0-2, they're one game out of the one game out of first place, and they're hosting on Sunday, where I'll be, they're hosting the Chargers, the 0-2 Chargers. And so the hope is that the Vikings win, and can be in a great spot. They're only one game out at this point, and we're only two games in. So we'll see where we go with football. We'll see. Uh, so you, I'm proud of you for being in fourth place. Hey. Standing strong. Fourth place. I'm you just, started, you know, it's a slight hustle here. I'm going to come in. You guys you ain't going to see it coming. You started going in, you started the kickoff season, started going into the week in fourth place, and you're still in fourth place. And that's a great place for you. I'm really sure, proud of you. I'll take it. You got your picks in, and by Baby all steps. accounts, you're understanding the dynamics of this whole fantasy football <laughs> thing, and I'm just really proud of you. I'm glad you're able, in closing, I want to be able to say I'm really proud of you that you're leaning into your National Honor ex- your Society experience. Thank you. You know, it's only 20 years ago, so I really got to, you know, get some new accolades to uh, brag about. Where do you think you're going to be a week from today? You think uh, you'll still be in no. fourth place? We moving on up. Moving on up. You think you're gonna you think you're gonna be moving up from fourth? Yeah. All right. We'll see you next week. All right. Thank you, thank you as always. You got for, it. For uh allowing some gent for allowing some ribbing here in fantasy football. And I do hope that your picks become more consistent and it becomes more of a competition between <laughs> us. Because right now That's the I'm goal. very confident where I am. Okay. And hopefully we'll, we'll mark this date down when I come back with the coming coming over you. Now remember I'm the commissioner. So you're gonna cheat? I, no, I'm just saying. I'm just saying I'm the commissioner, so I have other responsibilities too. But I am Is the commissioner. Is that a threat? Not a threat. <laughs> it, I'm just, I'm the commissioner too, and I have leadership roles in the league too. So I have to be fair, but I am rooting for me to just stay one spot ahead of you, okay? Good luck. We want to thank you for listening to The Breakdown with Brad Corp and Becky. Before we go, show us some love for your favorite podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or on the platform where you listen. You can also leave a review on our website at bbbreakpod.com. Again, our website is bbbreakpod.com, and then you can find us at Twitter at bbbreakpod. The Breakdown with Brad Corp and Becky will be returned next week. Have a great one. See ya.